As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. show and our weekend review at the top of the Premier League table we've been waiting to see who was the first to blink and it was Liverpool whose armour showed a chink as Tottenham came to Anfield and kicked up a stink. Elsewhere the Serie A title race is still great Watford met their fate, Barca are back on the big European slate and Man United are an absolute state My name is Ryan Bailey, joining me today is a man who's not nearly as amused by Man United's state as I am. Hello Taylor Rockwell I mean, once you move past abject hatred, you sort of get to numbness, which eventually moves to like just sort of taking pleasure in their pain. So yeah, I think I'm like close to where you are, maybe. Good. I mean, Taylor, <laughs> once again, I'll reiterate that I'm uh-huh. not proud of the schadenfreude that I feel, uh-huh. but as a child of the 90s, when everyone in my playground had a Man United shirt on them, I didn't grow up anywhere near yeah. Manchester, yeah. blah, blah, so on, so on. I feel good about it. I'm sorry. Yeah, so you don't, take, <laughs> you, you don't take pride in it, but you're okay with it, is basically what you're saying. I'm a passenger in this schadenfreude, yes, of some, I, of some sorts. I just remember the times that I used to say uh, to my wife, then girlfriend, like, I kind of hope they have a few down years because I get tired of being called a glory hunter that, you know, as an American, you get your eyes rolled every time or people roll their eyes every time you say you support Man United. I no longer wish for that. I feel like we've, uh, <laughs> we've, we've been bad enough for plenty of time. Let's, uh, let's move back to being good. That'd be fun for me. Nice reference to your ex-girlfriend who became your wife there. Very good. Um, Also here, a man who is three points clear in the title race of our hearts, Joseph, Arizona, Joe Lowry. Hello. Hello, Ryan. That was so nice and much nicer than Taylor's, which makes it extra nice and extra good and extra just better. It's good. Very good. You're not a closeted Man United fan of any kind, are you, Joe? Otherwise, I can direct some schadenfreude at you too. No, no. I genuinely much enjoy watching Brighton over Manchester United. So that that did kind of work out for me this weekend. Yeah, more on that very, very shortly indeed. But rounding out our pack is a man who is thrilled, thrilled, I say, about the idea of Erling Haaland returning to his native northwest I England. I hate this intro. I hate blue. this introduction. <laughs> <laughs> because he loves to see young English talent thrive. Graham Rutherford, hello. Uh, it's, it's too late. You, you, can't, you can't claim him. He is, he is, he's Norway's. That's, that's already happened. I mean, English football is doomed if uh, Haaland goes to City, which... Now looks very likely, given 
the reporting. I'm not sh- quite sure the Premier League knows what it's it's in for. In my Football Manager 22 save, and it's and it's my latest save. Uh, Erling Haaland goes to City, and in his first season, he scored 65 Premier League goals. So uh, that does not bode Seems well low. for Seems the rest low. of the Premier League. Um, so hang on, Graham. We, we got to part there a second. You watch 17 games per weekend. You watch every movie going. You've seen all the Apple TV TV shows as well. When are you playing Football Manager as well? Goodness me. I went to a wedding over the weekend too. <laughs> did you bring your laptop? <laughs> I did, actually. Yeah, and everyone mocked me for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Graham, damn. might it be this was your second wedding, right? This, well, I mean, it, to Not clarify, it wasn't my wedding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was a guest at someone else's wedding. But yes, I, I've only been to two weddings now, and one of them was my own. And might we see the reason for that, being that you bring a laptop to watch football while you are at the nuptials? Uh Perhaps, yeah, that might <laughs> that might be a black mark against my record, my wedding record. <laughs> like, I'm just picturing the cliche, like if anyone here has any reason for these two not to be wed, and then Graham celebrates a goal really loudly in that moment of silence. That seems that seems like yeah. it would work well. There's silence, Taylor, and then you hear. <laughs> <laughs> just finishing a shift. I just got to get this match report in real Sorry. fast. Oh. Logs nearly done. Live uh, logs yeah, and then done. The, the, the Slack notification noise <laughs> as well. <laughs> <laughs> Never change, Graham Rutherford. Never change. Uh, but while we brought it up, Erling Haaland to Man City is, according to several sources, including the Athletics' David Ornstein, a done deal. Some other mm. reputable sources talking about that too. Uh, Graham, a lot of money for the Man City to spend to not win the Champions League again, right? They are running out of excuses if they don't win the Champions League with Haaland because this season, obviously, a go-to talking point has been their lack of a number nine following the exit of Aguero last season. So if they go out and get arguably the best number nine in the world, they're certainly one of the best goal scorers and add him to that team and they still don't win the Champions League. I shudder to think what sort of money they're going to spend on other areas of their team. It is it is genuinely quite scary for the rest of the Premier League that Erling Haaland is, is seemingly going to City. I mean, with Kylian Mbappe, who seems to be the other next best player in the world for the next 10 years, with him going to Real Madrid, which there's a bit of doubt whether that's happening now, but let's just say for argument's sake he's going to Real Madrid. You're talking about a superstar going to a flawed and ageing team to start something new. With Haaland, though, you're talking about a superstar going to a team that's already dominant in their league. How is anyone going to be able to compete? And I don't think people quite realise what this could do because Haaland is a generational talent. He'll be the best goal scorer in Europe for the next 10, possibly even 15 years. And whichever team gets him will have an advantage for years in the same way that Lewandowski has given Bayern an an advantage over the rest of the Bundesliga. And that's what City, who have already won three of the last four Premier League titles, are on course for four of the last five. That's what they're going to have with Haaland. And oh, they also have the backing of a sovereign wealth fund to make sure that the team around Haaland also never deteriorates. Scary stuff for my United and other teams. Graham, I think you're spot on there with all of that. This is a huge deal for City and it does make them really scary. It also makes them different in a way that I don't think they've ever been under Pep Guardiola during his time in England. Holland is very much a turn and face goal and run in behind off the ball kind of forward. He's not really a drop in between the lines. He's not really a conductor. He doesn't do those things in midfield. He doesn't do those things between the lines. He's just ready to move off the ball and get the ball and drive towards goal and shoot the ball from the left side of the box and score a bunch of goals. And he's really good at that stuff. But that's not necessarily stuff that City does all the time. You know, the the big storyline this year, and even in the past with other striker profiles they've had, Sergio Aguero being probably the most prolific, he's not 
that kind of player. You know, Aguero might hold up the ball. He's, he's able to use his frame a little bit and, and put his butt into a center back. He can then get the ball on his foot and drop it and then turn and go. Holland just plays the position differently. He plays it in a, in a way that I don't think many strikers are in the world right now play it. And so I'm just curious to see how City's tactical approach is going to have to change with someone like Erling Holland in because it will have to change. It might not be a, a grand overhaul of principles. Guardiola is still going to play the Guardiola way. But I am extremely curious once this deal is official to see and, and to hear what Pep Guardiola has to say about, okay, this X, X, Y, and Z are going to change in, in these different ways. And this is how it's going to make us better. And then we get to watch next season to judge whether or not it actually made them better. Let's take it, like, continue with what Joe said, but let's make it that Holland works out, that Man City find a way to incorporate him. They're playing well. Graham, for you, if Mbappe weren't to go to Real Madrid, let's say the PSG renewal doesn't happen and Mbappe decides, I want to go play in England, where is the club that you would like him to go that would sort of put, utilize him the best, but give us the best title race with those two kind of going at it? I think of the, like the classic odes when you had Messi versus Ronaldo. I could enjoy a Holland versus Mbappe in the Premier League, but I'm not sure which team could best utilize Mbappe. Well, I mean, I the answer here is Liverpool, isn't mm-hmm. it? Like for the team that's closest to Man City, you know, you put Mbappe in Manchester United. Yes, of course, he makes them a lot better, but I still don't think Mbappe gets no, them close to City. They make him worse. Yeah, somehow, yeah, yeah, somehow he's going on loan to uh, Inter Milan within two, three years, <laughs> as tends to be the case with most high-profile <laughs> players at Man United. Sign. But um, <laughs> yeah, you're you're loving this podcast today, Taylor. <laughs> What did you expect? You lost 4-0 to Brighton at the weekend. This is what happens. <laughs> but, I mean, um, I probably could have gotten a goal in there, I think, probably. That's true. <laughs> yeah, no, the, it's, uh, I don't want to go to Man United. Yeah. That would be bad. Sorry. So, okay, you're saying Liverpool. What about Newcastle, Graham? Would you, would you like to see them build around Mbappe? Um, did, was there not an incident where Mbappe is on a plane with Antoine Griezmann and he's playing football manager? And he's Newcastle and he's going through his achievements. Yep. And he says, Mbappe asks him who he is and he says Newcastle and he says not much sunshine there. So it there seems unlikely okay. that right. Mbappe is going to go to Newcastle. But from or a footballing just perspective, or just yeah, England, right. yeah. It, it, feels, it feels unlikely. But yeah, I guess Mbappe at Newcastle would also be quite fun. I just don't think he... See if we want Mbappe and Haaland to be the new Messi and Ronaldo. He Mbappe has to go to a team that is... In a rivalry with City already, and I think that's Liverpool, and also just the way they play, I think would be a decent fit for Mbappe too. Wonderful stuff. All right, um, one other uh, order of business before we get to the main event of the weekend's action. A very, very sad weekend. MK Dons lost their playoff match to Wickham. Uh, they're sadly not being promoted to the championship. <laughs> it's very, very sad news indeed. Uh, MK Dons <laughs> become the first club to lose all five of their playoff semi-finals they played in so far. Uh, very, very sad that in their 30,000 capacity stadium, uh, in their home playoff, they had 13,000 fans. Um, very, very so that sad. Was- very sad. That was a championship playoff, right? So they're not getting promoted to the championship. Correct. So that that means they're still in a higher league than Wimbledon then. Oh. So let's get to the weekend's action. Uh, really, really big result for Manchester City this weekend. Liverpool's draw with Tottenham. Liverpool won. Tottenham won. Liverpool went top of the league on Saturday night, but uh, they did blink first here with this one. They're now three points behind in the title race with three games to go. I've got to say, uh, Taylor, I was not expecting this result. I expected uh, Liverpool to beat down on Tottenham. They have done that in seven of their previous eight attempts. But uh, here we go. Spurs putting up a good fight. Yeah, and, and it's a credit to them. I think that was a, an incredibly disciplined Spurs team that also 
had the fight that at times managers, especially Jose Mourinho, have said they do not have. They don't have that ability to kind of raise their game and play physically the way they need to. I thought in this one, they battled for everything. They won a lot of 50-50s that I think I'm used to seeing Liverpool win. I think they kept their shape really well. They counterattacked really effectively. They moved the ball when they needed to, but they were okay with not having possession when they didn't want it, which was most of the game. And I think for Liverpool, I initially came away from this one thinking like, yeah, they had, you know, Champions League. They've had fixtures piling up. Up, you're going to have these moments. And, and I think genuinely, this is my honest answer. I think I forgot how close to the end of the season we are. And I assumed we had like five or six more games. And to suddenly remember like, no, nope, we are very close to the end. This could be a very big loss for them. I'm now realizing that maybe this was one that they could have thrown a few more attackers into. Only one more game for Man United, by the way. You must be delighted to see. They played one extra game. I think they're just trying to get the season over quicker than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's been real fun. That's been real fun. Uh, <laughs> as we learned for sure that they are guaranteed their worst ever uh, points finish in the history of the club. Yay. Yes, indeed. Once again, more on that shortly. But uh, to come back to this one at Anfield, uh, Joseph Larry, what did you make of this one? What do we make of Antonio Conte and what he's doing at Tottenham at the moment? I mean, it does feel like perhaps next season they're set up to be a pretty big force. Yeah, I mean, they are a team under Conte if he continues to have some influence in the club and influence in in the players they're bringing in and, of course, the style of play. They're a team that can play spoiler exactly like this. For me, when Tottenham under Conte lean into being a counterattacking team and really lean into that like they did in this game, they're scary. I mean, they have this 1-1 against Liverpool, which is a huge result, and they have that 3-2 win that we talked about against City back in February. Maybe they were a little fortunate to get that result, but that's kind of what you're playing for when you den- when you defend a little bit deeper. When you play in this game, the five four one that Conte used, you're hoping to get a little bit fortunate. You're hoping that your your defensive approach will dull the opposition's attack just enough for you to get some looks in space on the break. And that's exactly what happened in this game. The goal, the Tottenham score is is beautiful, right? It's not really at all this this pure counterattacking goal. It comes from a bit of buildup in their own half. Liverpool are a little scrambled. And it's a ball from Lloris out to the left side. And, and Tottenham have a 2v1 on that side. And the rotation as well they have there is like... It's like they're running football routes almost with somebody dropping deep almost on a, on a curl route on the left and then someone moving inside almost on a, a post or a, another curl just towards the to inside of the field. And Lloris makes that pass and, and Tottenham builds on the left and Kane gets the ball. Then it's played back over to the left side and then it's a nice goal for Son in the box in the 56th minute. It's a great goal. This team clearly has talent. If they're able to hold on to Harry Kane, who who is a legitimate star in the Premier League, and he's so well-rounded as well as one of those nines, if if they can keep Kane and they can keep the other key players on this roster headed into the next season, I think they could be dangerous under Conte next year. Now, all that said, at a lot of top clubs around the world, there's a lot of organizational turmoil and chaos, and, and managers not staying for as long as maybe they should or, or being forced to leave before they should. But still... I think this Tottenham team could do some damage next year. So, Joe, you're describing Lloris there as kind of a, a QB of sorts with the uh, with the American football style um, uh, yeah. plays in that one. Yeah, it, it kind of felt that way to me, and it's not quite as scripted. And I, I don't think this move was okay in the 56 minute. Guys, we're going to go and we're going to run these two routes, and that's how we're going to score a goal. Of course, it wasn't like that, but you can see the the movement from the, the two left sided players there. In Cessignon and Emerson Royale, who are both on the same side, uh, at least for this sequence, 
you can see their movement. It's so clear and deliberate that they know they're going to have a 2v1 against Andy Robertson on that left side, Liverpool's right side. Again, there's a bit of a, a scramble in this sequence. So Lloris has those two options and he has that 2v1. It's basically just picking out a, a pass against a zone defense where you know you're going to have time and space to hit that ball. And it's a good ball and Tottenham attack from there. Those, those wide spaces, especially with the wingbacks that Tottenham use, are, are really impactful for a lot of the games that they play, especially against teams in back fours and especially against a team like Liverpool that's going to press. And so then it becomes how effectively can Liverpool's fullbacks get pressure to Tottenham's wingbacks. And, and it, it, when when there's no extra numbers in those spaces, they can get pretty pretty effective pressure there. But when you add in a second player like Tottenham did in that sequence, it gets a lot more difficult to defend. Joe, I'd say that Lloris is maybe like a third string quarterback because he doesn't know how to drive very well. Boom, boom. Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Um, Graham Rutherford, what did you make of Tottenham in this one? And what did you make of Arsenal? Uh, Arsenal? Liverpool, I should say. (laughs) Goodness me. Um, I I thought that Liverpool were unusually open at the back or was that just Mm. what Spurs were doing to them? I think we've seen this sort of match from Liverpool a number of times this season. It's certainly not uncommon for teams to sit in against them. But one of, the, one of the best things about Liverpool under Klopp is they almost always find a way to win these matches. And that was the, the biggest difference here. Obviously, I'm stating the obvious here, they, they didn't win this match. But they had 65% of possession, 11 corners, 22 attempts in goal. But the this the, it wasn't as if they were creating a lot of good opportunities. And if you look at how they played this match, um, it was quite sloppy. From, from Liverpool a number of times. You know, they too often they were looking for a cross into the middle, and I know that's a feature of Liverpool's play, but it was pretty lazy at times. 31 open play crosses, which is more than in any other game this season, but the they only completed six of them, 19% of them found a teammate. Their expected goals was 1.41, which is the second lowest of any home match in the Premier League this season. And as I say, even though they had shots, they had those 22 efforts, the vast majority of them were low-value shots. I'm sure I read, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I'm sure I read that, that per shot, their XG value was by far the lowest of any Premier League match this season, which tells me that Spurs were just limiting the space that they had and the opportunities that they were creating. There was the, uh, Liverpool had 15 shots blocked, uh, which is the second highest tally of the season so far. So all these figures tell you that, yes, some of that was down to Spurs and they were they were throwing themselves at, uh, at the ball a lot to make those blocks and to deny, deny those, that space. But there wasn't the same kind of usual zip and speed about Liverpool's play. And yes, there's some mitigating factors for that. The Champions League semi-final against Villarreal was pretty gruelling, maybe more gruelling than they expected before kickoff. Um, and they were unfortunate in that sense that they had such a tricky fixture against a good team straight after that match. Say this game is against a less a, a lower calibre team, you know, a, a bottom half team, then maybe Liverpool get away with it and then they move on to the next game and, and things just keep rolling. So a bit of of, uh, of of misfortune there for them but these are the margins when you're in a title race with Man City you need to be perfect and they certainly weren't against Spurs and you could see that in some of the, con- the, the comments made by Jurgen Klopp after the match where he was quite clearly very very frustrated one of the, the talking points from this match was his, uh, with, with the tactics used by Conte and how Klopp wasn't, he admitted to not being a fan of them after the match. So I'm going to read out a, a quote from him. So he says, I am sorry, I am the wrong person to ask about, and the question was about the, the brilliance of Spurs defending and the way that they played, because I don't like this kind of football. That is my personal problem. I think they are world class and I think they should do more for the game. That latter part there was was a little bit bitter. And of course, it's up to Klopp 
what type of football he enjoys, but it's bizarre that to me he would be better about an opposition team setting up in, in this way because if Spurs go out and just play as open as they did, and yes, they played some nice stuff through the centre, and yes, they were good when they got into the attacking third, but it was a compact style, you know, a lot, not a lot of share of possession. If they had tried to dominate the game, they would they would have got beaten by a team that is individually more talented than them. So I can't really understand why Klopp th- thinks that a team would set up in a way that would suit Liverpool rather than just setting up in a way that might get them a result, which mm. is what happened for Tottenham. It, it was the delivery of that quote as well, Graham, that was particularly brilliant from Klopp. It was very much like, well, I don't care, he sucks, so I, I, I don't have to talk <laughs> about that. It was, it was, it was, a, it was a very much a, a man scorned, shall we say, uh, Graham. Yeah, absolutely. Klopp's got Klopp's got history of that, and it's probably one of the things that makes him so good is that he he cares so much and he does have bold opinions and he can put those points across so so well. But uh, yeah, if he drops points or loses, he's maybe not the uh, the best person to talk to in a in a press conference uh, situation environment. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Taylor, how much is this going to cost Liverpool then? As, as Graham said, they're pretty fine margins here. Uh, Liverpool's last three games at Aston Villa, at Southampton, and then Wolves at home. City have got at Wolves, at West Ham, and then uh, Aston Villa. So both Wolves and Villa paying, playing a pretty big part of this title race. Um, this is very much two points dropped for Liverpool. Do you, how consequential do you think that'll be, Taylor? I, I, again, I, I didn't think it would be that consequential, but to realize how few games are remaining and the the opponents that Liverpool do have, I think they've got the FA Cup as well. So it's going to be, I think they've got a, a tough road ahead of them, and I do think this ends up costing them. I wouldn't be surprised if we get uh, Man City as our Premier League champions. I wouldn't be surprised either. Joseph, would you be surprised? I think they're going to get maximum points, don't you? I do, and, and more than that, I think there's a chance that Liverpool drops another couple of points. Villa on Tuesday, Chelsea in the FA Cup final on Saturday, Southampton the following Tuesday, then Wolves the following Sunday, and then the Champions League final. And they'll have plenty of time, I would imagine, to rest up for that final on May 28th, but they just have more games than Manchester City does, and, and it might be time. I don't think Klopp will do this, but there's a chance we see him sort of say, okay, we're going to take our guaranteed trophy, or we're going to put all of our resources towards that FA Cup final on the Saturday, and maybe that means their squad takes a hit for one of the two games surrounding that FA Cup final. They have the depth to be able to deal with that kind of stuff, but the road ahead is just harder for Liverpool than it is for, for Manchester City. And the other big factor this weekend was the, the swing in goal difference as well, where Man City, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, but they put five past Newcastle, and so they now hold the, the goal difference advantage. So even if it ends level as things currently stand, Man City would be champions there. So in effect, it's almost like a four-point lead for, for, for City as well. So a big weekend in the title race where it feels like it's definitely swung towards City. It does indeed. If only Liverpool had something else to look forward to, eh, Graham? If only, if only. <laughs> uh, are you talking about the uh, Club World Cup, potentially, against yeah. an MLS team? In China, later this year. We can't wait. We can't wait. Yeah. For that, yeah, yeah. I was talking about the uh, the game that might uh, overlap with you seeing Sir Paul McCartney on tour, <laughs> Graham. Yeah, just because I might not be able to watch all of it, I'm just pretending it's not happening. So there isn't actually a Champions League final this year. It was shared between uh, Liverpool and Real Madrid. Congratulations. Very, very good. Well, you get to see an old man play his bass, so there's some consolation for you there. Yeah. I'm... Are you talking about Ancelotti or uh, or Paul McCartney? <laughs> it was not an analogy of any kind. I'm going to take a very quick break here. When we come back, more Premier League. We're going to go round the houses of the continent, MLS and much more coming shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's talk more Premier League. And as we alluded in part one, we're going to talk about Manchester City 5, Newcastle nil. Taylor, I'm going to call this the post-Real Madrid effect. I don't know if you remember when Chelsea lost to Real Madrid in the Champions League. They went out a few days later and spanked Southampton 6-0. And I just had a feeling in my bones City were going to use Newcastle as their punching bag as well. And that's exactly what they did here. Uh, they went top again on Sunday by three points. Uh, very much taking out their frustrations in style, Taylor, I'd say. Yeah, on a Newcastle team that earlier in the season we thought could well be in the relegation conversation, now are quite comfortably safe. And I think maybe that factors into this scoreline as well. It's an angry city versus a complacent Newcastle, and I think you end up getting five goals as a result. You do indeed. Um, Graham, I don't know if you saw the post-second half statistics they put on the screen, uh, I think for the UK broadcast. 15 minutes into the second half, Man City had 99% possession. (laughs) So to try and limit any chance of Newcastle coming back into the game, they just said, you're not going to have the ball. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I saw, uh, I, did, I didn't I did see that specific stat, but I did see between the 45th and 55th minute of this match, I think City completed something like 100 passes, is that maybe too much? But the, the thing that was uh, most notable was that Newcastle hadn't completed a single pass in, t- in 10 minutes, they had a big fat zero next to their name and that kind of t- told you a lot about how this, this match went. It was a, a very good performance by City. I thought Yao Cancelo was excellent, as he has been for much of this season. And yes, Newcastle gave him a lot of space, but he was just so good once he got into the attacking areas. He was going wide. He was doing that thing where he, where he was driving through the middle. He had a final product. He uh, has uh, produces a headed assist for the... For the first goal, the opening City goal, I thought De Bruyne was again in excellent form. Sterling was very useful. Grealish had a good game. I still think he needs to adapt his 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 game slightly under Pep, but some of the takes on how bad he's been this season, and I understand he's a £100 million player and you expect him to be a difference maker, but some of the takes on how bad apparently he's been for City this season, have I think have gone slightly over the top and I fully expect him to be a lot better and a lot more central to City how they play next season. I think you look at Rodri and Cancelo, someone I've already mentioned, they all had kind of difficult first seasons at City and once they absorb Pep's ideas, I think they then find their place in the team and I, I think that's what Grealish is going to do and he's he's managing to contribute now um, and yeah, it was, it was a performance that very much said City are the champions in waiting, I think. Indeed. Uh, Taylor, after the game, Pep Guardiola said, everyone in this country supports Liverpool, the media and everyone. Our destiny (laughs) is in our hands. This is important. I don't know if he's telling the truth there, Taylor. I don't think everyone in the country supports Liverpool. Uh, I am not in the country, uh, but I don't. So I don't know if I factor into that one at all. Graham, uh, Ryan, what about you all? Are you all supporting Liverpool in this one? Do you have things to say? 
No, I don't. I'm not a Liverpool fan. I think he's. I think he's talking about the media. I still yeah. dis- dispute yeah. whether everyone in the media is, is a Man United fan. But I, for one, am very, very pleased that there's some growing animosity between City and Liverpool because it's been too friendly for too long, in my opinion. Yeah. But it is weird for Guardiola that he's chosen to have a go now when City just need to stay focused and not get distracted, and they win the title again. And this comes after mm. a five nil performance where nobody is talking about how good his team was, but how uh, Pep is a little bit petty about this. You're so right, Graham. We need we need more of that animosity. Do we all remember the the gigantic aggressive bro hug between Klopp and Pep after the the last meeting between those two teams? That stuff just can't be happening anymore. Let's get some real hatred up in here. Graham, I'm with you, and we're starting to see it, right? Pep's complaining about the media and about Liverpool, and Klopp is saying, Klopp's complaining about Conte, but we can see through that, right? Conte is is just uh, some sort of facsimile for for Pep Guardiola. We we see what's going on here. I mean, I do get where he's coming from, though, for two reasons. First of all, it's just a thing that we know managers do. They, They kind of make it an us versus them mentality. They want everybody in the organization pulling in the same direction. And the easiest way to do that is to paint it as everyone's against us. No one, no one believes in us. We can't slip up. No one wants us to win the title. Everyone wants Liverpool too. And you sort of create that, uh, that sturdiness in approach uh, in your team. But I also think there's probably a little bit of truth that if you're choosing between a team backed by the Abu Dhabi Sovereign Wealth Fund and Liverpool, who have American ownership that has at times been questionable but doesn't have the kind of same issues behind it. I think there's that. There's maybe Klopp being perceived as more likable. I think Liverpool's team being perceived as more likable. I do think that there is sort of a narrative that the neutral supports Liverpool and pulls for Liverpool. And I think a lot of that is just that they play really exciting Fun, high-energy soccer, not to say that Man City don't, but I think anytime you get a team that is relentlessly attacking, even when they struggle to to score multiple goals, I think they're always going to get a little bit of love from uh, the neutrals and a little bit of love from neutral media. I think it's certainly true that Liverpool have more support in the media than than City, but I'm not sure that equates to everyone in the media supports Liverpool. Yeah. If you look at how many Manchester, like former Manchester United players, are in the media, um, it's, I think there is a lack of City representation. But I, I think that's largely just down to the fact, and I hope I'm not offending any City fans here. I think I'm stating a fact. But City at this present moment, maybe this changes, but they're a smaller club than Liverpool. They don't have as many fans, and they don't have the history where you can go back some decades and you know Liverpool have Michael Owen and and all these great players that make you know that are headline acts on TV and City don't really have that yet maybe that changes in the next few years where some of their greatest players from 10 years ago start to retire and move into TV and maybe that's how that change happens but it is bizarre to me that Pep Guardiola with that that football mind that he has as one of the greatest managers of all time is lying at his bed at night thinking <laughs> ah Stephen Warnock wants Liverpool to win the title <laughs> Firstly, Mika Richards says hi, Graham. Um, <laughs> That's true. That's true. He is, he is one of the, the kind of few City representatives. Secondly, that uh, he, he definitely wasn't aiming this just at the media. Everyone in this country supports Liverpool, the media and everyone. Uh, the press conference <laughs> did actually end at that point because the weight of the chip on the shoulder of Pep sort of crushed him. He had to go to hospital at that point. <laughs> um, but I, I think, uh, Joe, jo, I definitely agree with what you're saying. And th- that bear hug moment. I want more of that kind of thing. I would suggest next time these two meets that Pep employs Erling Haaland to do the bear hug instead. Yes. And things get much, much more aggressive on the field. Yes. Ryan, you're, the next time you've the, done it. these two teams meet, I want whoever is the host stadium to lay out a pizza buffet in the tunnel and we'll just see what happens. <laughs> Slices everywhere. Wonderful stuff. Speaking of throwing pizza around, let's talk about Man United next, shall we? Brighton 4, Manchester United 
It says here zero. Goodness me. Humiliating defeat for United this one. Yet another one, Taylor. Sorry about that. Uh, this one confirmed Man United's worst season in the Premier League, as you mentioned earlier, Taylor, and also confirmed that Manchester United will not be in the Champions League next season. I've got one question for you, Taylor. How is this team still sixth in the Premier League? How are there 14 <laughs> teams below this team? Money, I think, would probably be the explanation there and just sort of too big to fail at this point, though they do seem to be kind of pressing that one in their ability to fail pretty successfully, pretty consistently. Uh, I don't know how they've managed to get into that position because, yeah, the way they're playing or not really playing as a team, as a unit, they don't seem to have unified tactics. They don't seem to like Ralph Rangnick too much. He certainly doesn't seem to like the the players all that much. Uh, It's... I, it's gone beyond dysfunctional at this point. So uh, good luck, Eric Ten Hag. Should be an easy one for you. Should be an easy one. Yeah. Taylor, did you see the defending for the, the third? I mean, the defending for all four goals is bad, but You're particularly that for quotes, the third. Right? Defending? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. defending. Um, yeah. The, but for the third goal in particular, mm-hmm. and obviously it's, it's very simplistic to put things down to effort, and obviously the structure of this team is not right, and the, the balance and the tactics and all that. But the lack of effort and work ethic from Manchester United for that third goal, where Victor Lindelof, when that goal goes, that ball, the ball goes into yep. the back of the net, is almost static yep. inside his own box, about five yards, maybe even less, from the ball, and he is standing still, or at best, he is uh, walking very slowly. Yeah, it's I mean, staggering. Like it feels like this team has just totally, totally given up. I, I think it feels that way because they have. I, like, I really do think that that is the answer, that they know the season's gone. They're not going to get in the Champions League. I think there's probably an awareness that a lot of players are going to be moved on. And I think those players have already publicly expressed their discontent, as is the case with Jesse Lingard. But I'm, I'm going to assume it is not a happy locker room. There is not a lot of chemistry. And I think that shows in their performances. I think it's a team that doesn't have chemistry and certainly doesn't have confidence. And so they play very reactive at times and the thing it sounds bad but or it sounds like maybe hyperbolic but it's true is that what what I've seen at amateur level is when players maybe get a little bit older or a little bit bigger especially around the waistline you'll see people in midfield start to kind of give a little bit more of a cushion they back off a little bit more because they don't want to get beaten for pace but as a result they're giving players more time on the ball more space to operate because they're worried about that that lack of ability to catch up or make that play. And that's Man United to me. It's just a a team of players who are all kind of backing off and backing off because they don't want to be beaten, but they're not quite sure what they're expected to do. And as a result, for that third goal, Graham, when it's, it's Gross who scores it, right? It's Trossard who I think plays it to him. He splits two people... 12 yards from Manchester United's goal. That's how easy they are to pass through, that you can pass through two players in their own 18 and then find a way to score. It is not a motivated team. I think the offseason cannot come fast enough, and I think for at least maybe half the team, the offseason has already arrived. That that third goal as well was, I think, where we got the cutaway of Ronaldo um, Hmm. laughing incredulously. And I think that was really telling that he wasn't, his brow wasn't furrowed. He wasn't like being, look, he didn't look annoyed. He looked like he was exasperated and was on the point of laughing at how ridiculous it was. Yeah, says it says to me that he knows he's not the problem. And and I'm sure that's a debate that can be had. I would tend to say that, yeah, he, he isn't the problem. Maybe he presents an issue for a manager coming in. But when a, when a player like Ronaldo, who's done what he's done and is such a serious competitor, is, as you said, Ryan, just sort of, laughing in a like well what can you do sort of way it says to me there are way bigger issues that uh he is looking at and thinking about when it comes to losing 4-0 
Can I add two things here quickly? So the first thing is, Taylor, never forget when Ryan kids you about Manchester United that he put money on them to win the title this year. Oh, That's the call. first thing. Good call. Thanks, let us Joe. never Thanks, let Joe. that die. I will never let that die. Thank the you. second thing, the second thing is, Taylor, I know you said it sort of out of frustration, but I, I think it's also true. Good luck to Eric Ten Hag next season. Yeah. I just, I just want us to remember a year from now, or or even eight months from now, when we're midway good. through the when we're midway through the season, that this is a multi-year project to turn Manchester United back yep. into a legitimate contender. So I I just want to be clear. There will be frustrating moments and moments where the team doesn't live up to potential or moments where, where Manchester United next year under Ten Hag collapses and there's just seemingly no explanation for it. And those will be frustrating moments. But I think if we are pointing fingers next season saying, well, this isn't working and Ten Hag's not good enough and the team is still terrible, who could have seen this coming? Everyone. Everyone could have seen this coming. It's going to take time for Manchester United to turn back into, if they do, to turn back to a legitimate Premier League and European title contender. It will not happen in a year. There are too many holes in the roster. There is no identity really with this team right now. It's going to take some real effort and time and and just all of the emotional energy that Eric Ten Hag has to put into this team to turn them into a a real threat in England and, and beyond. So that's just my reminder for myself, most of all, but but also for all of us and folks who are watching Manchester United, it's not going to be a one-year fix. And if it if it is, Eric Ten Hag is the greatest manager of all time. So basically, we're looking at Manchester United. I agree with you, Joe. And maybe he will end up being the greatest manager of all time, a la another person I'm going to mention, because we're talking about a Manchester United team that has maybe over-the-hill midfielders who can't do the job that they used to be able to do. They've got uh, prima donna attackers who are more interested in themselves and maybe making the team function as a unit and play well. They've got injury issues. They've got uh, overweight or out-of-shape defenders. It's basically AFC Richmond from season one of Ted Lasso. So (laughs) that's what I think we need to get as a Ted Lasso uh, situation. We get him in there. He partners Eric Ten Hag. It all works out. I think that should work. Just a little piece of letter that says believe on it. Put it in the locker room. Everything will be fine. Um, before I, I, I we, it. Sorry, just before we, we move on from this match, I do think we should probably give Brighton some credit for yeah, how yeah, they played. Because they, they, they are a very good team and they moved the ball quickly in this match. Their passing was sharp. Their finishing was good. The work ethic they showed off the ball was good. They had structure. They are basically everything Manchester United aren't at this moment and I think Graham Potter is doing some really interesting things there with their wing backs that aren't really wing backs with Trossard cutting inside and Cucurella driving through the middle and I think if this team is able to find a goal scorer that that scores even 10 goals reliably a season then next season they they're maybe possible it's maybe possible for them to really take that next step because it feels like the fundamentals of this team that they've got are really really solid and as I say they are they are a good team and maybe the the biggest praise you can give them for this match is that 4-0 didn't flatter them that was a reflection of how this game went and they deserved to thrash my United yeah very well said Graham uh, Brighton uh, on course for their best season ever their first ever top 10 finish there on course for us so congrats to Brighton of course we should say uh, I will I will once again defend my Man United to win the title bet by the way can we bear in mind I placed this bet shortly after Man United have brought in Jaden Sancho Cristiano Ronaldo and Rafael Varane it wasn't as crazy as it sounds now I got 7-1 to one at the time and I may have to sell a kidney now but I'd do it again 
Thank you very much. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, Crystal Palace won. Watford nil. Watford were relegated from the Premier League uh, with a deserved victory for a Palace here. Wilf Zahar sealing the result from the spot. This was an odd game because it was Roy Hodgson's. Um, he, he's been relegated with Watford here, but playing against his former side. Um, and Roy Hodgson bowing out for management for 46 years. He's been a manager at 17 different clubs. He effectively hangs up his boots here with a relegation and curiously didn't go over to the travelling Watford fans to say goodbye and thank you for this one. Um, took a lap of honour round the stands uh, where the Palace fans were, who obviously still love him. So curious uh, goings on there. At Maybe the he's Ted Lasso. Yeah, well, he's at AFC Richmond's ground doing that. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, Burnley won Aston Villa three. Danny Ings scoring against his former club here who desperately needed a win. Uh, they got 34 points with three games left. Chelsea two, Wolves two. Uh, uh, Wolves Taylor blowing a 2-0 lead in this one on the day the sale of their club was agreed for $5.2 billion redos. You mean, right? Did I say not Chelsea? I think you said Wolves, which, confu- which did confuse me for a moment. Wolves were not like, were sold. They also for- sold? Okay. Yeah, they were not sold for $5 billion. It was Chelsea, it was, uh, whose sale was agreed uh, with a consortium led by Todd Bowley, a US businessman who co-owns the Dodgers, is also CEO of the Hollywood Follow- for- Foreign Press Association. Fun fact for you. Uh, the deal there reportedly going to be completed in late May, later this Are month. Are the Dodgers good? I Does think so. Know? Usually. <laughs> usually. Knows. Not many baseball fans on this podcast. <laughs> They are a thing. That's all I know about them. They play in LA. Yes, they do yeah. indeed. Um, uh, but uh, Taylor, I don't know if you caught this one, but Chelsea blowing uh, the 2-0 lead and yeah. uh, suffering by a 97th minute equaliser from Connor Cody here. Yeah, and a, a very frustrating result, I'm sure, for Chelsea fans because it started so well. Lukaku gets the brace and that second goal is really the example of how you want to play when you have Lukaku in your team. You win the ball back, you play it into him, you let him run at the defense, he scores goals, things are going well, and then they're not going well. They give up uh, the the two goals to equalize. Then there's reports after the game that Marcus Alonso was subbed out at halftime due to a, a pretty big bust-up with Thomas Tuchel, and now he, he reportedly is done with the club and wants to move on. Barcelona are reportedly interested. Who knows what will happen there? But it's just a reminder that there is... A lot of work that's going to have to happen at Chelsea, and I'm not sure who's going to be there at the start of next season, but it's going to be some interesting drama between now and then, for sure. The internet tells me that the Dodgers are indeed good. There we and go. the internet is always right, so Chelsea fans have <laughs> lots of stuff to look forward to. Are you there. sure you didn't search for Dodgems at the fun fair Because they're good. Oh, they are good, yeah. yeah. I mean, I didn't need to Google that. I already knew that, right? <laughs> what, what's a Dodgem? Like, uh, oh, how do you describe are that? Is that cars? a British thing? Like, yeah, bumper car. Like the, you know the little cars and they sort of bang into each other? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just envisioned it was some some like fried donut with powdered sugar or something that you guys called a dodgem. But so maybe they're going to install some dodgems at Stanford Bridge. Is that a donut and, and a steakum, Joe, that you combined into a dodgem? <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's what I'm hearing. I didn't do it. Graham and Ryan did it. The British did it, not me. Ah, my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> New business model either way. I like the sound of it. Uh, a couple more Premier League games to look at before we take a quick break. Uh, the relegation battle heating up once again this weekend. Leicester yeah. 1, Everton 2. Another massive, massive result Yikes. for Everton here, Graham. They moved up to 16th out of the relegation zone at Leeds' expense. More on them shortly. Uh, Everton still have a game in hand as well. Uh, Jordan Pickford, uh, tremendous performance from him once again. We had a, a pretty good uh, Galazzo to open it up for Everton here as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What a game, Graham. 
Yeah, and it feels it definitely feels like Everton have turned a corner on the back of that Merseyside derby, which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. I know they lost that game, but Lampard makes pretty fundamental changes to his system. It worked relatively well in that match. It then worked against Chelsea, and it worked again here, despite the calamitous goal that uh, Everton conceded to Patson Daka, where two of their defenders can't actually remember who it was. Maybe Mason Holgate was involved, but they clash challenging for the same ball uh, same ball in the air and that allows Daka to go and get in behind and finish they managed to recover from that and uh, Lampard stuck with the, the the back five in this game with wingbacks and he, it feels like he's really getting more out of his team in that shape yes it depends a lot on Richarlison and on ball carriers like Gordon and Decore but it's it's working and uh, it feels like Everton, I'm not going to say they're safe just yet, but the momentum is certainly with them. And I think it's been really interesting to see Lampard almost discover a bit more about himself as a, as a coach because he started off wanting to be like a, a Pep Guardiola and it feels like with every passing week he's discovering he maybe is more of a Jose Mourinho. Do you know what's making me sad, Graham? Lampard's bald patch is getting bigger. It's making me feel really old. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to say this without kind of... Uh, appearance shaming him but he's certainly in the last few months aged a lot more than he has in the last few years which I think yeah. tells you a lot about the stress of relegation indeed the pressure will do that to you I just but, think uh, Bill Burr has the Bill Burr made a point once about how no one is ever ready to see what they look like from a 360 degree like spin uh, so whenever he films his specials he always comes away thinking like oh no <laughs> like that's what I look like from that angle and I wonder if Frank Lampard maybe just isn't able to see the back of his head so he doesn't know uh, but I, I commiserate Frank because uh, as I'm fond of saying, my hairline done recessed. So I know I know where he's coming from. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, Frank, all things on balance will take it, given the uh, circumstances he's bringing him into at yeah, the moment. Bro. And as you say, Graham, they do have the momentum. A team that does not have the momentum, however, Joseph Lowry, mm. is Leeds United. Mm. A 2-1 loss at Arsenal this weekend. Uh, they moved into the relegation zone because of Everton's win. Uh, Luke Ayling getting a straight red for a pretty filthy challenge in this one as well. It did seem like they proverbially and literally lost their heads in this one. Well, and this is what we talked about last week, right? And it, it could very much be a theme of the last stretch of this Premier League season. It basically already is. Leeds' run-in is extremely difficult, right? This Arsenal game was always going to be challenging. Arsenal, a team that can lock up European places, I, I believe, later this week. So this was never going to be an easy game for Leeds. It wasn't. They didn't uh, have an extreme amount of composure here. They're in a really tough spot. There is a non-zero chance that they get relegated in three games' time. I mean, they are on 34 points from 35 games. Burnley's on 34 points from 35 games, but they have a massive goal difference lead over Leeds. So if they are tied, Leeds will be relegated in that 18th spot. I should pause to say 19th and 20th in the league are already done. Watford, we mentioned it, Norwich, those teams are already relegated. So it is between Everton, Burnley, and Leeds for that last spot. Everton's on 35 points with only 34 played, so they have a game in hand and a point advantage over both Burnley and Leeds. Leeds right now are, are definitely looking down the long end of the barrel. Uh, they are in a really difficult spot, fellas. Yeah, uh, Leeds have Chelsea and Brian at home to come and then Brentford away on the last day. I mean, Graham, it they could, could lose be all worse. of those. Mm. Well, it could be worse, I'd argue, as well. Uh, yeah, but if you're if you're saying that their soft fixtures are Brighton and Brentford, those are two teams that are in good form at, at the moment. So I, I actually do think it's a pretty tough run in. And, and this performance here from Leeds, they actually recovered from the first half. The second half wasn't nearly as bad as I, I think people feared for them. But that first half performance where it felt like their heads had gone and they'd lost their discipline, certainly with Ailing getting sent off and Rafinha, who was, I think, was fortunate not to see a red card as well for his protest to the referee for that, that Ailing red card. It kind of felt like 
they all realized at once oh no we're going down here and so they kind of that was maybe a factor in how they lost their discipline in this match and and it's not looking good and I feel sorry for Jesse Marsh because he has had an impact on that Leeds team their form has improved and maybe in another season that would have been enough to, to keep them in the Premier League but Burnley and, and, and Everton around them have just been better in recent weeks and are, are picking up more results and it really feels like this this relegation scrap is a real scrap because sometimes in some seasons it feels like three a number of teams are just sinking like a stone and that hasn't been the case in the last few weeks. No, indeed. Uh, Tate Bielsa was trending after this result and lots of um, positive news for him and detriment aimed at Jesse Marsh in terms of where this team is didn't seem entirely fair. Really? I didn't see I didn't see that. Is that is that the case? People are blaming Jesse Marsh now for this? I saw a lot of um we gave up Bielsa and we got Ted Lasso kind of silliness uh, going on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That feels like people saying that because honestly they don't know what they're talking about, is my genuine feeling. Because I don't I wouldn't say that Jesse Marsh has, you know, been like night and day turnaround, but by the same token, I think a lot of the stats that we've talked about and seen this weekend, the one about them having the most yellow cards, like I think that relates to Marcelo Bielsa demanding that they get into it physically, and I think that also leads to some of the injuries they've had. So I, like maybe they're in a better position, but I think it's it's just as likely that they really are fully plummeting. As Graham said, we don't really have... Uh, like in the in that for that final spot, no team is truly sort of showing like ah, they're not up for it. They're not for the fight. They're making a series of poor decisions and players are quitting. Uh, maybe we would have seen that with Leeds under Bielsa because it did feel like that's the way it was going. That said, I do buy into the idea that this game sort of if you're looking at Everton getting a win and Burnley fighting back and getting a goal late, even though they lose in this one. The red card to Ailing, the way Melier gives away that first goal, it, there were some individual errors that did seem like maybe Leeds are making mistakes at a time they don't need to, but I wouldn't put that one at least solely on Jesse Marsh. I think that's a bit unfair. We've seen loads of mistakes like the Melier one in yeah. recent weeks, haven't we? That's unusual. You don't normally see so many of those in sh- such a short space of time because obviously there was the, the Zach Steffen one and then what was the one that happened in the Champions League as well? Donnarumma, was it maybe? I, I can't remember. Edward Mendy, oh, Chelsea, yeah, I'm sure he had one. one. For sure, There's been Donnarumma loads and loads of them recently. Yeah. Maybe teams should stop playing out the back so much huh? <laughs> who fit who fit who fit who fit alright Premier League done when we come back after this break we're going to look at the Serie A title race which is very much still a going concern back shortly today's episode is brought to you by our old friends Mac Weldon wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways like a zero calorie cheeseburger internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. 
So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's talk Calcio, shall we? Uh, Sunday evening, we had Verona 1, AC Milan 3. Milan inching closer to their first Serie A title in 11 years with this comeback win. A brace from Sandro Tonali here, then a thunderbolt from Alessandro Florenzi to cap the win, Tay-Tay. What about that? Yeah, uh, not a bad finish at all from Florenzi. It's from outside the box, but it has that little like the bounce right before the goal that he hits so hard. Uh, that's a great goal. But I think the player that stood out was Rafael Leao, who really seemed almost unplayable. If Luke Ayling had been in this game, he would have definitely got a red card for fouling him out of frustration. Because for the first goal, he dusted Casale, uh, and then he has a great combination of control, then acceleration, then control, then passing vision uh, to find Tonali, who I'm still not sure knew that he even scored the goal. I feel like Leal banks it off of Tonali, who just happens to be there. But still, he has to get himself in position to credit for that one. But then for the second one... The way he does the kind of like the slow down and then speed up to completely throw off Barack, that's always such a an insulting but great moment from an attacker when they like stand him up and then accelerate away and then he's able to cut it back for Tonali who's wide open at the back post. I thought Leao was a massive difference maker in this game. 
And I think he's been one of AC Milan's most improved players this season because I, I wasn't entirely sure. You could see his his um, his natural talent, but in terms of that, Taylor, when you talk about that that turn of pace, he's always kind of had that and he can go from zero to 100 in, in a couple steps, but he's doing that now with just so much more balance and control. And it used to be the case that he was a bit raw and a little bit ragged in his final product. But now he's got that poise and, and it's definitely affecting his, his final product and, and we saw that in, in this match. And I thought his relationship with Tonali and the two of them, Tonali and Liao, just turned this turned this match around for, for AC Milan and that equaliser before half-time is, is just so crucial for AC Milan because then they come out for the second half, they, they feel like they've got a platform, they get that second goal very quickly. And it's just such a huge win for AC Milan because their fans were... were very nervous about this one because the the Stadio Bentegodi has been the scene of some damaging defeats for AC Milan in the past. It's cost them some titles. Their fans talk about a thing as uh, called Fatal Verona, which is apparently a curse against the Rossoneri at this venue. So when Verona go 1-0 up in this game, it feels like it's all happening again. So to turn it around from that point, I think showed a, a lot of character for AC Milan. It did. The pressure was very much on of this one, Graham, uh, given that Inter Milan played on Friday and got a 4-2 win over Empoli. Uh, Inter Milan now still two points behind Milan in the uh, title race. Uh, there were two new now and after half an hour were Inter in this one got back in it with no goal Lazzaro Martinez brace and little old Alexis Sanchez cheeking in at the end there's hope for all these failing Manchester United players who are going to get loan moves or permanent moves this summer that they can maybe still win a Scudetto uh, with Inter Milan as Alexis Sanchez might do this season obviously won it last season as well uh, yeah it was it was quite the comeback it looked like Empoli who of course a few weeks ago ended uh, Napoli's Scudetto challenge with a, a, a win. It felt like maybe they were going to do the same to, to Inter, but again, similar to AC Milan, good spirit from, from Inter. Martinez, he's now got 19 goal, league goals for the season. I was pretty critical of him a few weeks ago, but he's really stepped it up since then. Perisic has been in good form recently. He was he was uh, really good in the game against Udinese last week. He was good again, although not as eye-catching in this match. He's out of contract at the end of the season, so there's some concern about his future at the moment. I think there'll be some discussion about that in the next few weeks and Inter Milan um, they looked gassed a few weeks ago I think I totally wrote them off in the title race but they've won six of their last seven league games and definitely definitely can't be discounted just yet especially with AC Milan facing Atalanta this weekend which will be another tough match yeah Atalanta this weekend for Milan and Sassuolo away for their final game so that's uh, a tough one too that's a tough one too I don't, Sassuolo don't have much to play for I think at this point but Inter they've got Cagliari away uh, this coming weekend and then Sampdoria for their final game so I'd argue Milan's uh, run in there slightly more challenging. We shall see. Uh, Juventus uh, slipped to a, through a 2-1 loss to Genoa on Friday, mathematically ending their title hopes, which we didn't think they had anyway. Uh, Napoli uh, opened up the lead over Juventus in third place with a 1-0 win uh, in Turin at Torino. Uh, they are now out of the title race. Also, it's just a two-horse race, officially in uh, Italy. Uh, also has a very interesting relegation battle going on there with uh, Salernitana getting out of the relegation zone after going six games unbeaten in Serie A this weekend they got a 1-1 yeah. draw with Cagliari who are also as we say trying to fight the drop Graham and, um, and they and, looked dead and buried as well yeah. Salonatana a few weeks ago I remember looking at them and thinking oh well they're gone and they've gone on a, a pretty incredible run of results since then yeah they, they were rock bottom for a long time so very well done for them so far uh, so yeah battles at the top and the bottom in Italy uh, very exciting times in the next couple of weeks uh, in Italy uh, let's go to Spain uh, in the Madrid derby Atletico 
Atletico Madrid 1, Real Madrid 0. Uh, this one going quite fiery from the start, given that Atleti did not give uh, their neighbours the traditional guard of honour for having won the uh, title. Yeah, and the funny thing about this is that Barcelona, the day before, they gave Real Betis a guard of honour before that match. That was Betis's first home game since winning, winning the Copa del Rey. And I'm not the biggest fan of performative nonsense like this at the best <laughs> of times, but are teams really giving guards of honour to other teams that have won different competitions? Is that a thing that's now happening? So Atletico Madrid don't give one to Real Madrid, but Barcelona give one to Real Betis for winning... Another was a it, different um, competition? The Guard of Honor sponsored by Spotify? Is that what it was? Or was it a commercial <laughs> thing? Yeah, and, and they just put on a, a Joe Rogan podcast <laughs> as the sound as the soundtrack over the top. <laughs> yeah. Just doing his own research. Maybe. All right, go on. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the Madrid Derby, I'm not sure how much we can read into it, just because Real Madrid make a number of changes for this game. Benzema, Vinicius, Modric, Valverde, Courtois, Carvajal, Mendy all start on the bench for Real Madrid. Benzema doesn't even come off the bench in the second half, even when they're losing this game. So it very much feels like Ancelotti is managing his squad now with the, the title secure. He's managing that squad for the Champions League final in a couple of weeks, of course. Um, but nonetheless, this was Atleti's first La Liga win over Real Madrid since 2016. Their first derby win since they have, league derby win, I should say, since they have moved to the, the Wanda Metropolitano. This result has been a, a long time in coming, you could say, for them. Um, and they played a, a a good game. You could say they were pretty wasteful in, in, in front of goal. They had 16 shots. Only two of those were on target. Real Madrid, mean, meanwhile, had uh, six on target for, from 15. But Jan Oblak, he timed probably his best performance of the season so far. He's had a very bad season, Jan Oblak. Um, but he was he was pretty solid in this game and... and that was one of the, the differences between the two teams. And you mentioned Barca getting a 2-1 win over Batiste this weekend as well, Graham. Probably only worth mentioning for that Jordi Alba winner in injury time, which was oh, pretty good. What a goal. What a goal. Goal of the weekend for me where he, he kind of slams home this left-footed volley from a diagonal pass to the edge of the box. That was in the 93rd minute as well, or even 94th minute, which was enough for Barcelona to to win this match. For for the large for the a large period of this match, this just didn't get going at all. For 75 minutes, there was a uh, a couple of shots that hit the post. But then after 75 minutes, Ansu Fati comes off the bench with 15 minutes to play, scores the, the opener within seconds. Uh, he's still very good, it seems. Bartra equalises against his, his former club. And then, as you say, Ryan, the, the, the Alba volley late on, which if uh, any listeners haven't seen that, I would suggest trying to catch up on that one. Yeah, very nice way to secure Champions League qualification for Barcelona it was. Uh, quick look at Germany. Leverkusen 4, Hoffenheim 2. Uh, Patrick Schick bracing that one, put Leverkusen in the Champions League officially as well. Uh, Union Berlin 4, Freiburg 1. Freiburg um, will have to wait for their Champions League uh, status to be confirmed. RB Leipzig are on their tail in fifth place. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, Schalke promoted back to the Esther Bundesliga with a 3-2 win over St. Pauli. They came back from 2-0 down in this one, Tete. Um, so let's let's do a little run of events for Schalke. Second in the Bundesliga in 2018. Uh, Champions League knockout stages 2019. Relegated last year and then back, baby. That's not bad, Taylor. That's not bad at all, especially when you look at uh, how much they've had to do. I know you all talked about Schalke in the listener question episode last week a little bit. How much detail did you all get into with them? Mostly just about whether or not Matthew Hoppe should have stayed. And we, we decided that maybe he should have, but Graham also pointed to some maybe factors that weren't in their control or, or weren't in Hoppe's control, I should say. Hashtag balanced. <laughs> we go sorry i still have to finish that episode but thus far very much enjoying it even if i keep getting uh 
I guess, signed up for different things that uh, I'm now investing in and, and buying and paying. Still waiting on that TSS check for the, uh, for the soccer team, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but the way they've had to kind of navigate the situation they inherited when they were relegated, they were, what, 217 million euros in debt. They've reduced that number a little bit. And a, long of, a lot of that has been uh, via transfers, 45 transfers, 30, 30 out, 15 in. They've reduced their operating budget from 80 million euros to 20 million euros. Uh, they canceled the sponsorship deal with Gazprom uh, following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And that was a lot of money coming in. And they sacked their manager, Dimitrios Gramotsis, uh, in March of 2021. Uh, they've got their inner manager, Mike Buskins. He took them from sixth to now uh, automatic promotion. So I think things are better for Schalke, but it has been a long road in just one season, and we'll see what next season holds for them. We shall indeed. Good news in Gelsenkirchen for Schalke. MLS Corner time! Uh, we had the leaders in the West and the East uh, LAFC and Philly meeting, and they drew 2-2, Joe Lowry. It felt like a fair result between the Philadelphia Union and LAFC playing at Bank of California Stadium, both of these teams are legitimately very, very good. I w- it would not surprise me if this was a preview of MLS Cup later on in the fall or winter. We don't really have seasons here in Arizona, so I don't know these things. But it was it was a good game. It was a, a fairly well-played game, some sloppy moments, but you could see the quality on both of these teams. A really beautiful goal from Julian Carranza for Philly. Um, that, that gave them their second goal. And some nice goals. Uh, Poku scored a really good one for LAFC as well. This one was fun. Both teams are aggressive. They like to press Philly in their 4-4-2 diamond, LAFC in their 4-3-3. Just a ton of talent on the field. And it's one of those games... I, I, there's usually a few of these every season that stands out to me as a landmark game, not necessarily because of all the beautiful on-field play, although there was some of that in this one, but just because of the talent on the field. LAFC are one of the deepest teams in Major League Soccer. We just watched Seattle play and, and win CCL midweek, and Philly are a very strong team in the Eastern Conference as well, built in a different way with different types of players, but still very, very good players nonetheless, and a lot of depth coming from their academy. That was a, a really a really good moment from this weekend. Contrasting that, let's let's do this. Contrasting that uh, with Miles Robinson's torn ACL, uh, torn Achilles. Excuse me, not ACL. He ruptured his left Achilles against the Chicago Fire on Saturday in a four-one win for Atlanta United. It doesn't look good. It didn't look good, and Gonzalo Pineda said as much after the game. We finally got official confirmation that the Achilles had been ruptured this morning. Atlanta United released that information. He 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 was so frustrated. You could see he punched the ground. He was just really emotional about the injury in a completely understandable kind of way. It's awful for Robinson, who's going to miss likely the rest of the MLS season, and he's likely going to miss the World Cup as well. You really feel for a guy like that who was a locked-in starter for the U.S. men's national team. And there's a chance, there's a very, very small chance that he could be back in time for the World Cup, but I, I just don't see that happening right now. Of course, best best wishes to Miles Robinson and him and, and everyone around him as he goes and starts on this recovery process. Yeah, big loss there for Atlanta and USMNT. Um, any other results to talk about, Joe? How about Charlotte FC won into Miami nil at the yeah, bank? Baby. Four How in a row. It, huh? Four in a row at home for Charlotte. Way to go. Yeah. It's really, really good win for them against a, a very bad Miami team. But you got to win these kinds of games, especially at home. Andre Shinyashiki, the, the player they recently traded for from Colorado, giving them a 1-0 win with, with his goal. So his first goal ever for Charlotte. Uh, we also saw Josviak start on the wing in more of a 4-3-3 in this game for Charlotte FC and Miguel Angel Ramirez. I like that idea. I want to see more of this team, and I want to see them do more stuff like this. 
But getting value from within MLS, which is what Shinishiki is, and there have been a couple of nice intra-MLS moves that Charlotte have, have pounced on, getting Shinishiki in and getting him on the scoreboard is a good sign for this team. So, Ryan, absolutely a plus there. Brendan Vasquez gave Charlotte, uh, not Charlotte, Cincinnati, a win over Minnesota with a late goal, a really well-scored goal, great movement from Brendan Vasquez, and a huge win for Cincy, who are quietly actually good and competent in the Eastern Conference, which is massive for them. Pat Noonan and Chris Albright deserve a ton of credit as do the players. The last result, quickly, Montreal, that I want to mention. Montreal beating Orlando, not just beating them, dominating them. 4-1 at home in Montreal. They're legitimately a very good team in the Eastern Conference. I've talked about that before. Wilfred Nance is doing wonders there. Georgi Mihalovic is extremely good. A ton of really quality players in that lineup. Uh, Ismail Kone didn't play in this one, but he's uh, a very talented young Canadian international who will likely see at the World Cup for John Herdman. Just a lot of interesting things happening in MLS right now. And Montreal, at least I'm on my mission to give Montreal more credit because I don't think they're getting enough right now. Joe, when can we expect Seattle to be good? I know they've had the CCL and they've only played eight games because of CCL, but three defeats in a row now. That's going to turn around, isn't it? Right? Yeah, it will eventually. Uh, I think they're probably out of shield contention right now. I mean, they're what? What is that like? Almost fifteen points, sixteen points behind the the top teams in MLS. So they're not going to win the shield. They're not going to win anything in the regular season. But they're they're built to be a real thorn in your side in the postseason. They're they're not really built to come out and control games. So I, I think we will see this team this team start to round into form maybe over the summer. And I know we're we're kind of already in that stretch. But later in May into June and July, this team could really kick it up and they might make a move in that, that secondary transfer window that opens at the beginning of July, I, I believe. That could give them a bump as well headed into the postseason in the fall. Excellent stuff. And well done, Joe, for describing Charlotte's win, despite having your teeth gritted so hard while doing it. I'm very <laughs> impressed with that. Um, your enunciation was excellent. Thank you. I tried. Uh, you're very welcome. Joe, how about a little update from the NWSL as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the North Carolina Courage won the 2022 NWSL Challenge Cup 2-1 over the Washington Spirit. A great result for them. That's their seventh uh, their seventh trophy in club history. They've won uh, Shields. They've won, uh, the, yeah, they've won regular season titles and uh, championships in the playoffs, and, and they've won a Women's International uh, Cup as well. And then they get this Challenge Cup victory. It's a very, very good team. A team, uh, and Ariana Cascone wrote this for Backhield, a team that's undergone a whole bunch of organizational and, and roster changes specifically. They didn't really know how good this team was going to be in the offseason. And instead, you get Caroline scoring a goal in the 10th minute after Dabinia absolutely dusts Kelly O'Hara on the break. This was one of the filthiest moves I saw all weekend. It was so, so good. Then you have a, a nice sequence from Washington. Ashley Hatch levels things with about 10 minutes to go left in the in the first half off of a lovely through ball from Trinity Rodman, who's a star for the Spirit, who are a very, very, very good team. And then as the game goes on a bit, you have some extremely scary injuries. Uh, Jordan Baggett, uh, Washington's Jordan Baggett, was, uh, was injured and some sort of head injury, and that whole situation was not handled well. The, the players had to go over and run to get the medical crew to hurry up and get on the field to get that stretcher on the field. It was scary to watch. Really, really scary. She was able to talk to the folks carrying the stretcher off as she was moving off the field, so that was a good sign. But a really scary moment to end this game. Overall, a great win for North Carolina um, and a really strong performance from them. And we'll talk more about that. Ariana's going to be on the show on Thursday, and, and I'm going to be chatting with her about NWSL. So we'll have more on this game and on these teams and on the regular season uh, on, on Thursday later this week. 
Nicely done. Congrats to the courage. Whomst amongst us doesn't like to see Carolina doing well? I certainly do. My hand is in the air. <laughs> Uh, and I would like to give credit to Sam Kerr, scoring a ridiculous goal against Manchester United. Uh, it's it's goalkeeper clearance. Her teammate Chessit plays it to her. Sam Kerr chests it and volleys it from about 25 out. Uh, but the ball doesn't touch the ground from the time the goalkeeper kicks it till it hits the back of the net, or I guess till it hits the net and then bounces in. Uh, but it was a great finish, and it also uh, secured helped secure Chelsea their third straight WSL title. So credit to Chelsea for that, and credit to Sam Kerr for just continuing to do Sam Kerr things. Uh, yes, congratulations. Congratulations to Chelsea. Um, I say through gritted teeth also for uh-huh. uh, their, their King's Meadow victory there. Can I pour some scorn on that goal, Taylor? Was that okay? Um, just to say that the goalkeeper did not get back to her line in any way and it was effectively a shot into an, into an empty goal. I mean, you still got to lob the keeper and you still got to yeah. like deal with the defenders trying to prevent you from getting that shot off. Yeah, I mean, I think the, it's not like the goalkeeper was like beaten by a worldie or anything like that. But I think you still got to put it on frame and make the goalkeeper make a play. And Sam Kerr did that. The goalkeeper did not. Indeed. A, bit, a bit like Neil Sullivan against Beckham. Yeah. He yes, really exactly. Exactly. Yes. I'm surprised I get that reference, but yes. <laughs> uh, Neil Sullivan against Beckham famously in his opening game of 96-97 was lobbed from the halfway line. Uh, the week two of that season, he was lobbed by Alan Shearer by, from 40 yards. Fun fact. Not a lot of people know. Maybe he should. Maybe he should have tried not to be lobbed. Yeah, the uh, the, the lesson he did not learn was to stay a bit closer to your goal line uh, when there's a world class striker with the ball at his feet quite far out. Anywho, um, one more thing I wanted to point out here is a Bristol Rovers who probably don't get a lot of love on the world soccer scene. They got promoted to League One uh, with a 7-0 win over Scunthorpe uh, this past weekend. Now, the curious thing was they needed to beat Northampton, who were above them in the automatic promotion places. They needed to beat Northampton's score by five clear goals to go up. Northampton won by two goals, so Bristol Rovers needed to win 7-0 to go up automatically and that's exactly what they did and they needed five goals with half an hour to go in this game and they got them uh so an incredible one here they they got promoted on goal scored not goal difference over northampton goal scored the third tiebreaker getting bristol rovers up into league one with this one uh, it's the first time they scored seven goals in a game since 1964 they were 17th in december <laughs> so i i think um taylor i'm calling this the reverse AFC wimbledon they've had the season exactly opposite to ours in that they got much better and went up rather than getting much worse and went down. Yeah, maybe Wimbledon could try that. And then maybe Wimbledon also should take a page out of uh, the goalkeepers we are criticizing their book and and just try to concede fewer goals at the same time. Maybe that'd be a good idea, right? That's always an option. It's always an option. That's what I'd say. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This this game, by the way, was Scunthorpe's final game in the Football League. After 72 years, they were already relegated for this one. All right. I think that just about wraps up weekend review. Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much. And I'm so sorry we had to lean so heavily on Man United today. I don't believe you, but right back at you, buddy. (laughs) You saw right through it. You saw right through it. Joe Lowry, thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Ryan. And Graham, be honest, were you in a church at a wedding while this recording was happening? Uh, I'm at the reception now. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, enjoy the uh, finger food and free booze, Graham. Thank you very much, Lister. We'll be back on the feed shortly. But for now, bye. Slash it!